Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Revelation 1. Uh, So last week, we looked at the rules of interpretation uh, while we're studying the book of Revelation. Of course, we said the first one was the golden rule. Uh, When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. When what you're reading makes sense, take it as what it says. You know, don't go looking deeper for, well, what does this rock mean? The rock is a rock. You don't got to go digging deeper for the It's a rock. Don't worry about it. Uh, The second rule is the rule of symbols. And we're going to look a little bit at that today and then a lot of that next week. Uh, Now, symbols will always be interpreted by the Bible itself. You never have to guess at what a symbol means. The Bible will always tell you what that symbol means. Now, uh, sometimes you start, well, you start by looking in the text that you're reading immediately after. We see that in the New Testament where Jesus would tell a parable and then the following verses would explain what the parable meant. The seed is the word of God. The soil is the heart that receives it. The rocky grounds, the hard heart. And so you don't got to go far. Just read a little bit further to see if you can find in the context of the passage what the symbol means. If you can't, then you always look backwards because God knows how we read. We read from front to back. So if we find something that we don't understand what a symbol means, God has already given us the definition of that symbol somewhere in Scripture. Start by looking in the book that you're reading. Now in Revelation 1, you can't do that because it's the very first chapter of the book. You've got to go back further. But you, you will always find the answer somewhere in uh, the Scripture. Then we looked at the first three verses to get a chain of custody. Again, this is the only book that is said to be a direct revelation of Jesus given by the Father. Uh, who was then given to the angels, who gave it to John, who gives it to us. So the things that uh, we see in Revelation are not things that John was told, but again, they are things that John saw. They were things that John witnessed. So this evening we're going to start uh, continuing Revelation uh, by looking at the introduction. So look in chapter 1, start in verse number 4. John... To the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us to be kings and priests unto God and his Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So the introduction begins with John. Uh, John is the human author of this letter written to the churches. He's not acting as a church leader in this respect. And at this time, right now, he's acting as a church secretary. He is is writing what he has been told to write, but he's also writing what he is witnessing from Jesus to the churches of the day and ultimately to us. So verse 4 says he's writing to seven churches in Asia. Now, that's going to make a lot more sense in the next chapter because he names these seven churches, and these are seven important churches. 
But as we've seen before, the word, the number seven in Scripture has a lot of significance. Numbers in Scripture do have value. They do have importance. They do have, have significance. Now, <clears throat> they are not uh, some Bible code that we have to break to try to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Uh, you will never know when Jesus is coming back because Jesus doesn't even know when Jesus is coming back. Uh, so it's not like if you read all these verses and add up these numbers and you get a date. And if anyone's ever named a date, they're wrong. Uh, I remember me and April, when we were on deputation, we were down in Georgia. Uh, I think it was, I think he's dead now, but it was one of some old guy who, who he, he declared the rapture was going to happen like that Saturday night. And we're in Georgia at a missions conference, but we're at this missionary, uh, hotel that we were the only ones there. So we're on this farm, basically all by ourselves, and we're like, well, if the rapture happens and we're still here, I guess we'll know when we get to church and nobody's there. You know, don't know if it happened or not. Of course, it didn't happen. So anyone that ever names a date because they say, oh, I read this scripture and I saw this great, and I saw this code and I cracked, there is no code. There's no great Bible code to crack. Just things in the Bible have significance. And number seven represents complete or perfect or 100%. There are seven days of creation, complete, perfect creation. So seven means 100%. So John, when he says he's writing to the seven churches, he does write these, this letter to seven specific churches. But the number seven, again, means he's writing to the church. It's not just for these specific churches. It's for every single believer of God. So it's for us today. Uh, so God didn't want to only talk to those seven churches. He wanted this truth to go to every single believer in the world. But even with that, these seven churches in Asia, they are very significant. And we're going to see why in uh, chapter 2. Uh, but then notice the greeting that God, John, gives to the church in verse 4. It says, from him which is and which was and which is to come. See, John is referring to the eternal existence of God. God always has been. God always will be. Uh, and that's, that's hard for us to, to really, how do you wrap your, your brain around eternity? You know, because, you know, there's a difference between everlasting life and eternal life. You know, God has eternal life because God always has been, always will be. We receive everlasting life. We have a beginning. Our life will have an ending but we can have everlasting life with God in heaven for the rest of eternity. So from a point ever into the future. But God, he has no, he has no beginning, he has no ending. <clears throat> um, so he's returning to, referring to the eternal existence of God. Uh, he has no beginning, he has no ending, and it, it kind of puts the things that happen in the book of Revelation in a little bit of perspective uh, for us. Because... The events we're going to see in the book of Revelation, they are terrible. And when the events start, start happening, they take seven years of earth time. But seven years in the space of eternity is, is nothing. It's not even the twinkling of an eye. It's to God, seven years is it's, it's nothing. It's a, not even a snap of a finger. So, yes, the things that we're going to read are terrible. They're awful. They're dramatic. But... They're not going to last very long in uh, in scope of eternity. Um, so God is eternal, and God is always the same. He never changes, and he never will. And he repeats that 
truth in verse number 8 for a very good reason. Because the things we're going to study in here are so frightening, he doesn't want us to be consumed with fear. Yeah, the things we're going to see are very fearful. But an eternal, unchanging, loving God is still in control. And then he mentions the seven spirits that are before the throne. Anyone have a guess about who these seven spirits are? I'll give you a hint. What does seven mean? Complete. Complete. It's the Holy Spirit. It's just all the Holy Spirit. He's all there. So that makes no sense. Okay. Where's the Holy Spirit right now? Everywhere. He's in us. He's, in, he's also in heaven going to God on our behalf. So the Holy Spirit is, is kind of, you know, he's kind of everywhere. He's drawing, he's drawing non-believers to him. He indwells the believer. He's by the throne of God. You know, but in this time, what John sees, the entire Holy Spirit is, is up in heaven. He's not spread out. He's not working elsewhere. What John sees, Spirit's right there, all of them at one point. So we see the entire Godhead here. We have the Eternal Father, we have the Holy Spirit, and then, of course, we see uh, God the Son there with him as well. Um, and we're going to see why the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit being there in one location, is important again in chapter 4. And then we have Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And again, these this description John gives us about Jesus, it describes the three phases of his ministry since he came to earth. Uh, Jesus' ministry as a second person of the Godhead, before his birth, he was there at creation with God. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So, We've got the eternal Jesus in heaven. Then we've got uh, Jesus when he appears to his disciples after his death. He, of course, died on the cross for our sins, was buried. Three days later, he rose again. He was not the first resurrection in Scripture, but he was the first resurrection in Scripture who was done through his own power and also the only resurrection that once he was resurrected would never die again. I always feel bad for uh, Lazarus in the Bible when they resurrect him because, I mean, he was sick. Uh, he died of, a, of an illness, and, you know, of course, in that time, the illness could be he scratched his foot on a rock and died. But whatever, he got sick, he died. Uh, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. So when he died, he did not get to go to heaven. He, got, he had to go to Abraham's bosom, a place of rest, waiting for it. But he knew... The Messiah's on the earth. I've only got a little bit of time down here, and I'll be here for just a little bit of a time, and then I'll be in heaven with God forever. And then all of a sudden, he's resurrected again. And he's got to die again. Uh, he's got to go to work the next day. I mean, he got out of work. He had the best excuse for not going to work ever. I'm dead. Uh, see you never. Now he's got to go to work. Now he's got to pay bills. Now he's got to deal with his, his whiny sisters who are always fighting with each other. He had it made. And now, but now he's going to die again. Jesus, when he resurrected, he resurrected with a body that will never suffer death again. He is in heaven right now with his glorified body. So we, we see these, these three aspects of uh, Jesus' ministry. Of course, Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church. 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And of course, talking about in, in chapter four, uh, chapter one, verse four, where it talks about, you know, his, he's going to be the, the king of the earth and the king of princes. When Jesus returns to earth, he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to rule the earth as king of kings and lord of lords. So we see him before creation, after his resurrection, and what we're going to see with him in the future. And then we see God's plan for this in verses 5 through five and 6. Again, uh, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. While we wait for the things in Revelation to come to be, we are priests of this kingdom that God has, is, is going to come. We are still priests and, and servants of the kingdom of God. And so our job is to serve the lost, to witness to the lost, to share the truth of the gospel with those who have not yet accepted Christ as their Savior. We've been cleansed from our sins by the blood of Jesus through his death, his burial, his resurrection. He paid our sin debt. So that means we don't have to worry about earning his approval. We never could have earned his approval, but now we don't have to worry about his approval. We serve him as priests of a future kingdom. Now, in Jewish culture, priests served a vital role. They were intercessors between God and man. Man could not go directly to God. So the priest, one day a year, he would go to God on behalf of all Jewish nation and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and have their sins forgiven or have their sins covered for a year. And so we as priests of God, we are to intercede between God and the lost world. We are to witness to them, to give the gospel to them so that they can have the opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. So we represent Christ to the lost so they can put their faith in him. Then let's look down at verse number 9. I, John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and, pa and uh, patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle of Pat that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard the trumpet and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Tyathira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. As I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a, two -edged, a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, uh, there's a lot there we're going to look at tonight, and a lot of it next week we're going to unpack because there's just way too much uh, symbolism to get into tonight with all the stuff John talked about. But John, is a, he, he was a well-known person to the readers 
that received these letters. Everyone knew who John was. John at this time, he's about 80 years old, uh, and he's been uh, uh, confined to the Isle of Patmos, of course, because he, he, he was a, a rebel against Rome, and they tried to kill him, and so he's over on the Isle of Patmos, which is, you know, you can see, y'all can see Patmos, right? Right here. It's a lot nicer than it was in John's day. Uh, but in John's day, it was a prison island. <laughs> Everyone who, was, uh, who Rome just didn't want to deal with, they shipped to Patmos. And so John is stranded on this island. Uh, we don't know how many people were there with him. Uh, we don't know if he was there alone. Uh, we don't know if there were other criminals with him. We, we do not, uh, church history tells us there were no other Christians on the island. So any other criminals on there are real bad criminals. You know, he's got murderers and rapists and thieves on there with him. If there's anybody there, we don't have any really clear record to sh- show. But whoever is there with him, John, is kind of by himself uh, on this island. This is where he was exiled. Uh, like other followers of Christ, he'd been, huh? Yeah, that's where I was. And they were saying that probably uh, John was set free. He was. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's, John. That's what yeah. They say. What they? But yeah, he come. He uh, they tried to kill him uh, before they sent him to Patmos. But John just he was a tough old bird. Uh, he wouldn't die. And uh, you know they put him in boiling oil, and he's like, "Oh, this helps my arthritis. Thank you so much." And it's like, "Well, just get him on the island." And uh, so they ship him to the island. But before he was exiled, he ministered in Ephesus, which we saw before, but it's right there. So he went from Ephesus to Patmos, uh, just a short distance away. Uh, And then verse 10 says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. When is the Lord's Day? Saturday. I've been to that church. We're just talking. (laughs) It's neither. Uh, We think of it as a specific day. This is uh, the Lord's Day. It's Saturday if you're Jewish or Seventh-day Adventist. It's Sunday if you're Baptist. But here's the thing. In the first church, they didn't have a day of the week they worshipped. They didn't have a church building to go to. They worshiped every single day in people's houses. So if we, you know, I always heard people say, we need to get back to the first century church. Great. Then we're having church in all your houses every day of the week. Uh, every one of you got to make a meal one day. A bunch of people are going to show up. We're just going to worship all day uh, for hours on end in your home every single day. Huh? Well, y'all don't mind that, but I do. I got to study for seven services. So <laughs> that's a lot of studying I got to do. Uh, John and him just got to say whatever they wanted to. I actually got Bible I got to read. Uh, so, um, but that's how they, they didn't have a church day. They didn't have a, a Lord's day that they went to. Um, so this doesn't speak of a time because the Greek word here used for Lord's day is an adjective, which talks about a, a feeling, a, an attitude. So really, it's John says, I was in the Spirit having a lordy day. I was filled with the Spirit. I was close to God. I'd been praying. I'd been fasting. I just been, I, I, was, I was feeling very close to God. Have you ever had those days? I hope you have, as a believer, where you just, you feel like, man, I just, I, you know, I'm reading my Bible and it's coming alive to me. And, I'm, you know, I'm putting on music and singing. And, man, I'm just belting it out because I just feel like God's right there with me and I'm worshiping. And, man, it just feels great. And, of course, then you have the days where it's like, man, where, where, did God go on vacation and not tell me? Because uh, he's been gone for a while. Uh, but John's like, I was having a great day with God. Uh, I was praying. I was singing. I, was, I, I, he didn't, I mean, he may have had the Old Testament if he had any chapters on the Bible of Patmos, but he's just like, I'm meditating on God's word. 
I'm focused on God. I'm just having a great day, a particularly spirit-filled day. He's sitting there, he's praying, he's worshiping God. And then he hears a voice behind him uh, that it says, sounds like a trumpet. Uh, and again, I've heard a lot of people try to interpret what this means. Uh, to me personally, because I looked at it, I just think it means kind of a shock. You know, if you're ever sitting there and you're, you're reading a book or you're reading your Bible, you're praying and someone goes up behind you and blows a trumpet, that sharp kind of, it's going to, I think that's what it means. John's just like, I'm sitting there, I'm by myself on the island. You know, no one's around me. I'm just, you know, I'm being by myself. I'm praying. I'm having a great day with God. And all of a sudden this loud voice, you know, someone shouts behind me and it kind of startles me. And again, John's 80 at this time. Uh, so he's lucky he didn't have a heart attack. Uh, but God, God, I guess God figured he ain't going to boil. He ain't going to die of a heart attack. Uh, he's got great health befoot beside him. So he's, he's spending time with God, uh, just praying and focused on God. And he hears this voice behind him that startles him. And uh, he turns around uh, to see what's going on. Now, of course, that would stop, uh, startle anyone. Uh, but obviously, this wasn't a trumpet, but it was a loud and a sudden noise where someone was speaking to John. And of course, we know... And John tells us later, it was Jesus speaking to him. And Jesus gives him instructions, says, John, I'm going to show you some things, and I want you to write down the things I'm going to show you to send to these churches. Then he sends it to seven special churches, not just random churches. Now, and we're going to see this, we don't see this in Scripture. Church history tells us that, again, John did get off the island. He was released. He went back to Ephesus. That's how we have the letter of Revelation. You know, it's not like John died on the island and when they're, you know, archaeological dig, they found it in his cold, hand, dead hands. He got off the island. He sent it to the churches. So this letter did get to where God wanted it to go to. Uh, it goes to these seven churches that John names that are all in Asia Minor. All these churches today are in Turkey. Yes, ma'am? It's a type of rapture, that trumpet thing? Yeah, of the rapture. Yeah, we, we see that later. That's what we're going to be listening for, right? Yeah, we're listening voice, for the trumpet. Which is, <coughs> it's going to be like a trumpet, so this is like a No, we're going to hear a trumpet, and then a voice. But this is a picture. Yeah, some people, it's a, and I don't, I don't disagree that that's what it is, that it's, it's a type of the rapture. But we see John be a witness to the rapture later in the book of Revelation. To me, he does see the future later. Right now, he's just like, I was minding my business, praying to God, and this guy shows up yelling at me. Well, the other thing, too, which I thought was interesting, was that his back was turned to God. Yeah. Well, I think more of it reflects, because I've, I've, I've seen that too. And I, again, I don't disagree that's a type of the rapture and it's a picture of that. I don't think John was raptured at this time. I think he was just very spiritually having a great day, uh, which, I mean, it, it shows you John's character because you're an 80-year-old man thrown on a prison island by yourself and you're still praying. 
I mean, I wouldn't be. I'd be like Tom Hanks on, you know, Castaway, trying to find me a, a volleyball to, to play with. Um, but he's having a great day. But you can see the... You, you know, you can't see the references there, but I think when his back is turned, it's just a, kind of a, le, a, a a reference to we don't we don't know when he's coming. But can you compare that with the Apostle Paul? Because he was also taken to heaven. Right? I think personally, I can't I can't prove it. I think it logically it does. I think Paul died. I think I think he went to heaven. Just like, I think John, John didn't die. John got a vision of heaven in the future. I think Paul actually died. I mean, because they stoned him. And in those days, they didn't just pelt a couple rocks at you until you said, Al. They piled them on you until they thought you were dead. And I think he was dead. And I think God resurrected him because the very next day, he's walking 30 miles to another another city, and I don't know anybody that can get pelted with rocks until people think they're dead and just get up and walk the next day. Uh, so I think he died and resurrected. But wasn't there a place in there where Paul said that... Paul says he didn't know. Paul says, in the body, out of the body, I don't know. Okay. He couldn't... He, he says, I don't really... I saw this vision. I don't know if I was in heaven or if God just gave me a vision. I don't know. Personally, I think he was dead and God resurrected him. Again, it doesn't change the gospel if it was or wasn't. Right. It would make me mad if I was Paul and God talked me to heaven and then said, all right, back to work. No! You know. No, because I think John got a vision of heaven. I don't know if he was actually ushered into heaven. Kind of, because uh, really the spiritual realm is not, we, we kind of think of it as way out there. Paul talks about, we see through, and that's where he talks about, we see through a glass darkly, where the spiritual realm is kind of, it's here, we just can't see it. And so I think the veil was removed for Paul and for John to see that spiritual realm and to see into heaven. You know, because we always think, well, heaven's, he went up, because I think we, 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 we think he went up into heaven because Jesus ascended into heaven, or Jesus ascended, and of course, you go down into hell. Um, but heaven, I'm not, you know, we, people, for, oh, well, heaven's at this galaxy here, this, heaven, it could just be in the atmosphere. It could just be, you know, a couple thousand feet up. We don't know. Uh, we'll find out one day, you know. Yeah, the other thing was, you know, you hear a lot of people having these out of death, out of, you know, when they die. You know, they I think of Paul when he passed, okay. talking about the flowers. Yeah. I mean, it's just like yeah. the veil was thinned, yeah. and he got to see what was waiting for him. And it had to have been close. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just it's just right there. It was just a matter of seconds and he was gone. Yeah, it could be a long journey, but I don't think it is. I think it's just my 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 thought as far as the, the trumpet is concerned, so right along the same lines with yeah. the, the trumpet is the trumpet might just be I I don't want to say symbolism because it's not exactly the right word, but a trumpet even in those times, would herald something. Yeah. It heralds the coming of something, right? Like, I don't know, how about your Lord and Savior standing behind you? Yeah, like, it's you know a declaration. And so, what is he heralding? Well, he's heralding all this information that you now have that he didn't have before, right? Like a trumpet, so maybe it's not like a, a scary noise, but it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a hurrah. Yeah. Right? But and then, it's revealed <coughs> to him like a, 
Revelation. Like a revelation. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it was because it says I heard a voice like a trumpet. So it's like, to me, it's like it's that sudden, again, it can be a declaration. It can be scary. I can see the, I can see the similarity between, well, John was raptured. I don't think he was. I, th- I, I don't mind people. And I, I see that. And you can say, okay, it's a sudden thing. We're not, he's not looking for Jesus when Jesus just showed up. That's a warning for us in the rapture. But, you know, that's, that's something else we get to. Okay, anyway. So he, he writes these letters to Asia Minor, uh, which is a mighty day territory. And after Jesus speaks, John turns around to see who's talking to him. And what he sees is pretty incredible. Now, the first thing he notices is not Jesus. What's the first thing he notices? The seven golden candlesticks. Again, he's facing one way. Jesus shows up and speaks to him. He turns to see who's speaking to him. And the first thing he notices is these seven candlesticks. Now, the Greek word used for candlestick here is the is translated from the Hebrew word that means menorah. So the menorah, of course, was given to uh, Moses. The design for the menorah was given to Moses to put in the tabernacle uh, during the uh, when they wandered the wilderness. And of course, it was put in the temple after the temple was built as well. But again, there are seven of them, meaning complete, hundred percent of something. Uh, what do these candlesticks represent? We've got to remember the rules of interpretation. We've got to look in the passage we're reading at to see what he's talking about, and we'll get to that in just a minute. So somewhere in this context of this chapter, we should see the answer about what these seven golden candlesticks represent. Um, but before we get there, we've got to look in the middle of the candlesticks. There's a figure. And, uh, you know, taking the description at face value, it's a pretty strange-looking figure. Uh, John says that the, again, it says, in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks was one like unto the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a reference to Jesus. Always has been, always will be. So, but he doesn't say, there's Jesus. He says, it's like Jesus? Because John knew Jesus very well on earth. Him and Jesus were very close friends. And so you would think he would recognize Jesus right away, but Jesus looks different than the last time John uh, saw him. Um, he was seeing the resurrected Jesus. Jesus did say, I am, which is God. Yes. Um, but I think he's saying he, he, he's like the Son of Man because he's like a man, but he's not quite a man. He's a little bit different than a man because he is a resurrected being. He's in his glorified body. Uh, and he's what he's going to look like when he comes back. Um, so there are things that make him like a man. I mean, he's somewhat human. He's, he's wearing a robe. Uh, he's got on this, uh, this waist sash around his waist. So there are details about him that are human-like, but then there's also some that are not, like feet that look like they're on fire, eyes that look like they're burning, a, a, a sword coming out of your mouth. That's not typically what you, and usually when someone, you know, you got a sword in their mouth, they've just been killed by a sword. So obviously it's almost human, but he's not quite human. There are, di- there are different qualities about him. Now, there are human-like qualities that give John some comfort that allow him not to see, be so shocked. But again, as we, we go further, uh, there are things about him that are not exactly a man, and that's the point of this passage. His hair was as white as snow or as white as wool. Doesn't mean he was gray-headed. There's a difference between gray-haired 
uh, Danny, and white as snow. <laughs> so his, his hair uh, symbolized his purity and his, his holiness. His eyes are like flames of fire. Now look, I've said things to April where I, she looks at me and I think, man, her, she's got some burning eyes. It's not what John's talking about here. His eyes literally look like they're on fire. His feet are like red-hot bronze. His voice is like a waterfall. It's loud. It's deafening. His face is just so bright that you can't even look at it uh, without it hurting your eyes. But then stranger than that, he's holding seven stars in his hand and a sword's coming out of his mouth. There's a lot of symbols to unpack. So we're going to unpack them. We're going to follow the rules of interpretation to see what these symbols mean. We're going to start with the seven candlesticks by looking, or the seven stars, by looking at verse number 20 in Revelation. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand. So again, follow the rules. Read further in the chapter. Jesus tells us exactly what these seven stars mean. So the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, are the, uh, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars uh, are the angels. Um, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So again, we see clearly how symbols will be explained in the context of the the passage. So the seven stars are angels of the seven churches, and the candlesticks are the set the churches themselves. So you're, you're probably thinking, why did he use candlesticks to represent churches, and why is he having to hold the stars that are representing the angels? Well, you'll find that answer if you go further back in the Bible and see where these symbols were used before. Uh, we can see why he used candlesticks as symbols of the church and why stars are symbols of angels. So what does it mean that there's an angel... For every church, because again, seven candlesticks, meaning seven churches, but it represents every believer. So every believer has a guardian angel? We all got an angel that's on our shoulder? I feel bad for mine. I mean, he's, he's run ragged. Uh, <laughs> he shall give his angels charge over him. Uh, now, to me, I don't think we, you know, people think guardian angels like when you're walking down the street and a piano is about to fall on your head, it pushes you over. Uh, I think it's more of a convicting spirit or a prompting spirit. Hey, why don't you go witness that person? Hey, why don't you go do that? Not like, oh, don't take that street, you know, jerking your. Now, again, there have been times where, I, you know, things have happened that I can't explain where I'm like, was that an angel? Was that my guardian angel protecting me? I don't know, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to test it by jumping off a building hoping he catches me. Uh, so that's not good. But Hebrews 1, 4, uh, 14 tells us, uh, are there not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Here's the thing. The spirit realm is very real. Uh and sometimes we, especially as, as Baptists, we avoid it because some, some denominations take it too far. Uh, think of the Pentecostal holiness who get slain in the spirit and they go, 
you know, start dancing and talking all kinds of tongues and stuff. And uh, then there's, you know, witches, and we, we don't want to get too deep into witches because then people think we're weird uh, or demons because people think we're scary. Uh, but the thing is, the demonic world, the spirit realm, is filled with angels and demons, and it's very, very real and very, very active all around us. And angels and demons both have specific jobs. Now, demons' job is obviously to keep you from being saved, but once you're saved, to keep you from being effective to keep you from doing anything for God. Uh, the angel's job is to minister to the believer. You Obviously, it's in ways that we don't always detect. There are ways that angels are ministering to us, are helping us, are guiding us, are revealing truth to us as we study the Scripture, or kind of prompting us to do something we can't explain. But they're always ministering to us. And there are seven stars representing the angels serving the seven churches, and there's a meaning to that. Seven, again, means 100%, so it's easy to understand. In his hand is every angel that serves the church, which is us, that is under his authority. So the stars represent the angels serving believers in the church under Jesus' control. And in the Bible, candlesticks are always used to represent illumination, truth reaching into darkness. What Jesus said uh, you know, we, you don't light your candle and hide it under a bushel, but you shine it so that everyone can see. You know, we don't have, we don't, the purpose of light is not to, now, again, in our house, my, 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 my lights in my house are only for me because the shades are blind, are drawn. I don't want people seeing, but my backyard is a lot like the church park. You come up here at the church parking lot at about two in the morning, it's bright as day. Because I want people to be able to, no, I want people to know, hey, it's bright, we got cameras, don't do something stupid. <clears throat> they still do. Uh, my house is the same way. My backyard and my front yard looks like noon. Uh, because I want people who are looking to rob somebody to think, don't try that guy. Uh, his house is too bright, and plus, he's got a lot of dogs. Uh, they won't bite you, but you don't know that when you're breaking into my house. <clears throat> They're a warning symbol. And so, but uh, candlesticks are used to represent illumination or truth reaching into darkness. Uh, even believers, uh, our own heart is described as dark. Paul says that God's truth shines into our hearts and then we shine it into the hearts of others. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The candlesticks are the churches, and there are seven of them, so the entire church. So we see right here, we see the mission of the church. We are to shine the light of the gospel into the dark world, into the lost and unsaved world, and God gives us ministering spirits to prompt us and to lead us and to help us to do exactly what God called us to do. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission of individual believers. We are the light of the world and the light of tr the truth that shines from within us. And then, you know, this symbol also tells us Jesus is walking among his church. It signifies his authority over us as overseer, as minister, uh, as he rules from heaven. Uh, so next week, because I got to get going, because I just heard the teenagers and God help us. Uh, but next week, we're going to unpack the symbolism of all the stuff that Jesus is talking about. His white hair. His robe, his sash, his burning feet, his sword mouth, his fiery eyes. We're going to unpack all that symbolism to see exactly what John talked about and what, what God is trying to reveal to us. So uh, you got your papers. Read through the scripture this week. There's all kinds of scripture references in there. Uh, and we'll, we'll start right next week. We'll start right at 6 o'clock. 
so we can answer some questions and before we get into the lesson and, and look at what we need to look at. All right. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.